What is up, Internet? Why would you draw those things? Those horrible, awful, sexy things. My name is Matthew Kroll. And destroy it with that big butt. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Turning Red. I think I am turning red, to be honest with you, because I was yeah? out in the sun today. Yeah. <laughs> what did you do? Uh, nothing. I just sat in the sun, you know, like a razor. You no, just actually, sat actually, in the sun. Actually, I will, I will humble brag a little bit. I did my first triathlon this weekend. Yes, congratulations. Uh, and it was, it was a delight, even though I can't, I was, I was, I was so slow. <laughs> I was so ridiculously slow, but I still finished it, which I'm very hey, proud Hey, you know of. who didn't do a triathlon? Yeah. This guy. <laughs> uh, you know what I did this weekend? What's it? I watched a dog and painted miniatures. And you you'd think that that would be calming. Yeah. It is not. Especially if the dog um, wants to lick your miniatures. Uh, well, yeah, we don't we don't let we don't let that happen. You yeah. put peanut butter on everything but the miniatures. Um, <laughs> no, I uh, uh, we're running. A, I'm going to PAX. I leave tomorrow. Yes. Uh, to to go the first convention back. We'll see how that goes. I got masks <laughs> and hand sanies and filters and oh my. Are you um, flying? Yeah, yeah, flying. Uh, flying. Uh, let's see how that flight goes with the, uh, the... the recent uh, 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 strike down of mask mandates. Let's see how this all. Let's see out. how it goes. I mean, I'm going to leave mine. There's no, there's no question. Yeah. Uh, but regardless, <laughs> well, here we are on Wait, the raggedy edge. So, and, uh, like, the... just give us a quick, uh, give us a quick spiel of what people can, how people can find you, what you're doing, because I want to, I want to, I want to lay down a challenge to anyone who is the crossover audience between extra credits and the only podcast about movies. The only problem <laughs> with that is, is by the time this airs. Oh, yeah, we'll be gone. Pax oh. is over. No, so, maybe I'll maybe I'll just tweet this one. But okay, uh, I did have a plan, which was that I was going to get people to. They had to come up to you and say, "Have you ever heard the story about the scorpion and the frog?" Why? It's from Drive, your favorite movie. Oh God! <laughs> I just wanted people to come up to you and just be quoting Drive quotes. If, at you. if it happens, <laughs> I will talk about it uh, <laughs> the next next week. No, it's it stinks that that didn't line up. No, the miniatures I was painting. Uh, I'm surprised. The reason why I'm comfortable saying this is I I, I printed and painted a bunch of minis for our, our team is doing a one shot D and D campaign and they don't know that they're all getting uh, hand painted, handcrafted miniatures, including our dungeon master David, who's coming in from Spain. Spain. Uh, so it'll be very very fun. Um, I. I I'm nervous as hell about it, to be perfectly honest, but I also, it's been two and a half years, uh, yeah. and I'm just, I don't know. We've it's done one of those things. be nervous about it. We've done it. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm not nervous about, like, the talks. We're doing two panels. I'm not worried about that. I'm just like, oh, the fucking pandemic. Right, yeah. <laughs> pandemic that's still happening. <laughs> Well, a but movie anyway. that got released during the pandemic and unfortunately didn't get to see a theatrical release, or I, I may even be mistaken about this, I'm not sure if this actually played in theaters at the time, but it actually was distributed on Disney Plus at the same time, was Domi Shi's Turning Red movie yes. that uh, did come out a little bit earlier in the year and we kind of uh, jumped over it, but are lucky enough to come back to it now. But before we get, before we turn red, wow. a couple of emails. Wow. You see that? You see that? Wow. I pivoted halfway through this, one of the sentence. <laughs> is this why you're a professional? Yeah. Well, you know. Uh, Vincent wrote us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com to recommend a movie for us and give us a little bit of uh, insight or a little bit more of insight into everything, everywhere, all at once. Was it everything, everywhere, all at once? Is that right? Is that I got it right? Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Vincent writes in, I highly recommend Michael Franco's Sundown for whenever you get a chance. It's an understated huh. treat in my opinion, but I'd love to hear how you both feel about it. This was actually a great recommendation because I'll be perfectly honest with you, Vincent. 
I did not know anything about this movie. Uh, despite it starring one Tim Roth, uh, I knew very little about this movie. So this is, I think this is the first movie in a while that a listener has like completely stumped me on. And I had to do some Googling to figure it out. Uh, so I will, because you've run that in, I, will, I don't know if we'll do it on the podcast, but I will make a point of seeing that because I appreciate it when someone brings something to my attention that I have no idea about. No Cher, about Cher and I will cuddle up on a, on a, on a, a couch with, with a nice cups of cocoa. Yeah. And Ed will watch and we'll watch this film. Absolutely. I'm I'm 100% here for that. Uh, Vincent also emailed us uh, uh, with one awesome detail that you might have missed in Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, uh, which is where Raymond uh, was expressing his strategy of seeing the good in life. As Evelyn mm-hmm. was connecting with his message, various vocal tracks of Raymond's positive splintered through, culminating with a brief, that's very funny. I have to imagine that this was an intentional callback to the short round line in Temple of Doom. That's mm-hmm. very funny, Dr. Jones. Very funny. While that moment, among others in Temple of Doom, had debatable hints of malicious humor aimed at Ki Kwan, this film takes the same famous line to a powerful, ideologically defining event. I teared up for sure. Shahir, you're right. James Mangold, better be surprising us with Kei Kwan's presence in the next indie movie. Uh, best to both of you, and thanks for always engaging conversations. I oh, like, thank that, you, Vincent. That's, that's, that's two for two for Vincent, uh, who I believe might be writing us in for the first time. If you've written us in before, I apologize. Um, but that's two for two of pointing out things that we were unaware of, and if we are nothing if not know-it-alls, and you have proved that that is not the case. We so, are. dearest <laughs> listener, the gauntlet has been thrown by yeah. Vincent. I've... Vincent is now in the lead with two things in an email that we didn't know. Yeah. Would you like to try to dethrone Vincent? <laughs> you sure. can do that by emailing us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com and let us know things we don't know. We might even start a new segment if it gets popular enough. Things we don't know. Things we don't know. I'm sure you could fill an ocean with the things we don't know. Well, uh, no, I I know a lot, so I know nothing. I'm, I'm pretty, pretty confident. <laughs> All right. Well, I am glad that we will. We are now turning our turning our attention to Turning Red. Matt, can you tell us what Turning Red is about? The Internet Movie Database defines the film Turning Red as a 13-year-old girl named Mei Lin turns into a giant red panda whenever she gets too excited. Ooh, saucy. Is it? <laughs> well, apparently the internet thought so, and the internet's—the internet's dumb. This just in. <laughs> I was here for this. Now, uh, on an episode uh, many, many moons ago, I'm trying to remember which one it was. I, I, I can't remember what the conversation was about, but we had a conversation about the idea that we shouldn't amplify idiotic voices on the internet. There's no sure. need to do it. We can just live our days happily by by just ignoring the stupidity that is the internet uh, because, you know, the internet spreads far and wide and the the bell curve, uh, whatever you think of that topic, uh, of uh, stupidity to intelligence is a very high ratio. Um, and But this movie, Turning Red, unfortunately, the, my, my immediate knowledge of it came from several, several multifaceted books uh, uh, multi-directional attacks on this movie for various reasons and i uh despite having made the made the decree that we should not amplify idiotic voices on the internet uh several were in the in the in the rollout of this film that they I didn't th- listen to us uh no they didn't listen to us well the idiotic voices were always there they're never going to listen to us oh, um, that's too bad but I wanted to actually just highlight a couple of these, not because of the point of of highlighting idiotic voices or or Mm. debating them, but just kind of figuring out what buttons this film is pushing. Because turns out this film's pushing a lot of buttons. Here's the thing, though. Right. 
Is it? This movie, I, 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 I tried to dive in because I didn't hear anything weird about the, the film. And then we, you and I, I think through a text chain, I forget what you might have brought up that something you might have said the word divisive or I, I don't know, whatever. And I was like, oh, what's the what's the tea on this one? I because I watched the film and then right after I watched like the Disney Plus behind the scenes sort of thing, which was honestly really, really nice to see. Right. Uh, it was. Did you watch that at all? I did. I did. Yeah. Yeah, it. it uh, I would recommend it if you've if you've watched the film and you haven't watched that. It's actually quite quite uh, endearing and good, and, and a nice look at sort of uh, a close knit team of filmmakers working through the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, um, I, I was digging through, and I had, and maybe it's because it's out of the news cycle or like whatever, but I actually had a hard time finding like actual concrete things other than a wayward tweet. I know that the the original one of the editors of Cinema Blend was it. Yes. Um, originally posted a thing about how like he didn't like it because the characters were cringy, air quotes. Uh, and that's not actually it. Oh, what did I? Sorry, then I I read the wrong article. Uh, would, you, would you like me to read out their review? Yeah, please. Okay, without question, Turning Red is the horniest movie in Pixar's history, which parents will no doubt find surprising. I recognize the humor in the film, but connected with none of it. By rooting Turning Red very specifically in the Asian community of Toronto, the film legitimately feels like it was made for Domi Shi's friends and immediate family members, which is fine! but also a tad limiting in its scope. There's an audience out there for Turning Red, and then that audience finds that movie. I have no doubt they will celebrate it for the unique animal that it is. In my opinion, however, that audience is relatively small, and I am not part of it. Yeah, no, I can completely, I can completely understand where this reviewer is coming from. I, you know, I see all these films like uh, that one where there's the boy who's kind of a man and he swings around New York City, and because I've never been a boy who's kind of a man who swings around New York City uh, and and fights crime, I can never really relate on any emotional level to it, or like any other film we've ever talked about here, because it's not, you know, intrinsically exactly my exact life uh, journey. I just can't possibly glean anything worthwhile from an emotional resonant story. Like, that's that's the dumbest shit. I don't want to drag this person because this person, and I'm not even going to say their name, but but they they were appropriately dragged on the internet for this review, and this was a major news outlet, um, you know, to the point where... And I think uh, they've retracted it. It's still, like, on the archive, but, like, Because they they were trying... Look... Here's the thing I, in terms of giving it the benefit of the doubt, I read the full article that this person written, which is, has since been deleted and is only available through a web archive. And you can see that the person in their mind is trying to make an argument about both the broadness of what a, a Pixar movie is supposed to be and the specificity of how that can feel um, or, or how specificity can, can divert away from the broadness of what a Pixar movie is supposed to do. In doing so, this person said the quiet part out loud, which is that they, they, are simply, they, they believe that they were acknowledging that mo- most movies are not for every person, but that is what movies are great at, is being an empathy machine, as Roger Ebert once called it. And our, you know, like, and like, for example, for me, a Fijian Indian from New Zealand, who's probably in my lifetime never going to see a movie with someone specifically in my target demographic, still empathizes and sees myself in movies. And it was amazing that that fact was not... Um, that was not on top of their mind when they wrote this particular review. But I think it was an interesting point 
to bring up in relation to our conversation about this movie because what I found most endearing about this movie is how uh, wholehearted it is, how delightfully charming it is, how beautifully specific it is, which is what makes it great. And then trying to think about how that specificity and those those wholehearted elements were inverted by people who watched it who simply weren't there for what this movie was trying to do. And in, in doing so, those people vocalized essentially an attack on this film. Now, I th- the reason I think that is interesting is that all across the country right now, there is uh, an unprecedented movement to limit and restrict access to certain textbooks and books um, that people uh, believe will cause harm. Now, this is a topic I'm actually really interested in. Um, I wrote a paper when I was in college about... Uh, the limits of censorship and and the way we define censorship, and what the the working thesis that I think everybody who has ever written about this topic is is that censorship has more to do with an individual society's reaction to a material than the material itself, and you know the defining quality of censorship, which is almost impossible to to actually quantitative figure out, is is um, does the, is this thing injurious to the public good? I.e., is the publication of this book actually going to harm people? And there's very few bo- examples uh, right now, for example. Um, there's a book that I just bought uh, called New Kid, uh, which has been banned in schools in Florida because it may, dep- you know, may engage in conversations about critical race theory that people are upset about. I'm bringing all of that up to say that there is this ongoing conversation right now and this and this sort of broader topic of what people are offended by that I think is really interesting because what occurs to me is people are offended by specificity of, ex- of uh, examples that they do not relate to. And the the interesting thing there is that those specificity of examples are usually from people who have not actually had material in the public, you know, culture that speaks to them. So they are now writing the things, things like things like new um, new kid, things like turning red, you know, mm-hmm. movies that are specifically about a unique experience um, that is not normally depicted on screen. And so I, I I wanted to bring all that up because I you know off the bat I think the movie is delightful. I think it's wonderful. I oh, it's it's so utterly charming. Um, but I was very struck by how people took what was something that was so utterly charming and such a such a worth, worthwhile fun watch, and turned it into something that they took immense offense at. Um, well, I mean, there's a couple there's a couple things throughout all that. Um, the rewinding a little bit, uh, that reviewer and many people whose complaint was like, "Oh, well, this isn't what a Pixar movie should be." I find that laughable mm-hmm. because, hey, you know who gets to decide what a Pixar movie is? I'll give you three guesses. It's Pixar. Like, like it doesn't matter. Like that. I I seen that little bit everywhere. Like, oh well, this doesn't feel like this isn't giving me the same thing. It's like, well, okay, but like you don't get to choose what a Pixar movie is. The company Pixar does, right. and you can have your beliefs, or you can have your uh, your ideas of what you want a Pixar movie to be. Uh, but that doesn't really hold any water. But, the second but, thing but you could, and again, I'm not defending this point of view, but you could, you could see that the arg- and and for example, the review that we're talking about is not the most uh, offensive. I think we'll get into some of the other ones uh, a little bit later, uh, which took the most offense to this. I actually think that this review was kind of just fool-headed, uh, you know, uh, more than anything. It was just, uh, you know, just a, a real bad, um, a real bad take. Um, mm-hmm. But Pixar is a brand, right? Like Pixar is a corporate entity that has a brand that is fairly well defined in terms of the types of movies it produces. Now, yes, you're 100 percent correct that 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 brand is uh, malleable and can change and can do whatever it wants to. But 
That brand is emotionally resonant, brand, resonant right? animated films. What? That that brand is emotionally res, uh, resonant animated films. Aimed, That's what aimed primarily at a younger demographic, right? Not necessarily. I, I think it's they, what they kind of do is that old, older demographic, younger younger demographic kind right. of thing. But I'm I'm just saying that that's that's not an unreasonable uh, position. What is an unreasonable position? That that there is a certain uh, element to what a Pixar movie is. Yeah, it's an emotionally resonant animated film. Again, right. I don't get to de- I don't get to define that right. either. But that's how I feel it is, yeah. and this movie fits right into that pantheon. So again, I thought that was silly. The second thing is, yeah, you are one hundred percent correct. It's getting fucking scary weird with the ba- uh, book banning lately. We've covered three books on the So You Haven't Read series, uh, not on purpose, but just turned out to be banned places. We we covered Beloved, Long Way Down, and Persepolis. Right. Uh, again, all things that kind of fit into the thing you just said, Jahir, of like, oh wow. Well, we can't relate to this, and it might give us, uh, it might discuss some uncomfortable things for specific people in power that can actually enact book bannings. Mm. Uh, so therefore, they're they're not allowed uh, in in schools, which is, <laughs> oh boy. Um, and 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 thirdly, I think a lot of this stuff, um, not necessarily. Well, I mean, it's all it's all connected, but um, the. Looking at something like Turning Red, and th- again, I didn't find a ton of things, but I guess it was probably past the time. Uh, the people that are legitimately, like, that seem to be legitimately angry at it, I think they're not doing okay. <laughs> like, I think emotionally, if it's the pandemic or or just the, the, the overall malaise of the world or the state or the terror of it or the global warming or, like, whatever, like, the since the world is getting slowly but surely worse, it's starting to eke into all of our mental stability. And I think people are looking, just fucking hunting for shit to be mad about that doesn't actually affect their life so they can feel like they're correct about something while also not doing any work. I honestly and truly believe that. So, um, well, with and, that. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, and, and and it's interesting to see what people target for those things, be they books to ban or movies that they don't air quotes connect with. Um, you know, it's 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 weird, and it's and and the discourse is every day getting sadder, mm. um, uh, and it's depressing. It sucks. This is this is a, this is a movie that I think has a lot of value for, honestly, adolescents or anyone who's ever been one, and uh, to 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 try to poke holes in it because it doesn't line up with your particular, you know, I'm I'm now strawmanning a person out mm. there uh, brand of of how life should be lived or or your idea of how someone else's life should be lived is fucking ludicrous. Uh, and it's it's just annoying. It's it's so annoying. So let's talk maybe about the about the uh, what we thought of it as opposed mm. to the, what uh, what other people thought of it. I would like, love to uh, because I, you know I've kind of alluded to the fact that I thought it was just utterly delightful. And right? uh, Maylee's character uh, from the first second she's on screen, where she's basically telling you 
exactly who she is, what she wants, what she thinks about the world. I was so charmed by it. I, I think that there's a combination of both the animation style, which was um, c- kind of closer to Luca than into Wally or Finding Nemo in terms of the way uh, it uses sort of these more stylized characters as opposed to photorealistic or aiming. There's a real with, anime uh, yeah. uh, vibe to it. You can tell that the the creators and and uh, the director was definitely into anime growing up. Like there's just the way that they're they're the way that like faces lock and big things and like yeah. there's like eye sparkle and like I don't know it's just yeah the keyframes uh, between movements are really sharp and they're be- yeah. and they're beautiful because of it but I I actually just I I th- you know like there's very rarely um do you get you know th- like the phrase you always hear in script writing is does this character jump off the page and I was and Mela is this character which is like the second she's on screen she just like leaps off the page uh leaps off the screen so to speak mm-hmm. um and she is just so charming so full of life and I was just like man what a cool kid this kid is you know like I was just like what a great I like I, I was like I, I have nieces and I a couple of my nieces are kind of like this and I was like these are just cool kids you know like they're just they're, they're they they um they're there's nothing holding them back and there is more to that story obviously as the film goes along but I just loved this character so much um, I think let's talk. Let's talk real quick about that, though. That just that specific instance, something that I really gravitated towards. This was something that um, uh, the four girls, the four main characters, oh, the main characters, the three all. friends. Yeah, like not <laughs> only are they great to watch, but like they're also admirably unapologetic in who they are. Yeah. Like, this isn't like, a, oh, no, like, now they're the dorky kids and, like, people are making fun of them for being the dorky. I mean, that's not really what the story is. But, like, they're 100% fine in their own lane of what they are doing. And, like, everyone, I don't know, it's a really, really nice thing. Like, yeah, there's some antagonist kid and, like, you know, a couple other things going on. But it's not it's not your classic, like, oh, no, the dorky kids are in trouble, but they're going to save the day through a thing and then everyone's going to respect them. It's like, no, everyone kind of already respects them anyway. And, because... and more than that, they also don't give a shit. Like yeah. they don't care. They do not care. Yeah. Uh, whether so you I really like to see that. Domi Sheep nailed that. Yeah. I I, I just I, the four friends, especially uh, for me, Abby. Uh, Abby was my favorite, played by Hayen Park. Um, you know, she's the one who kind of like says, "I've got to, you know, just give me a little bit of the tummy so I can just uh, cuddle it for a bit." I, yeah. I absolutely loved her. Um, I I I so I I think that just the dynamic of these four friends uh, in and like again. The, the thing that's great is the specificity, like this idea that they're in Toronto, um, that they're growing up in 2002, they're walking around with Tamaguchis, um, and, and this is, the, the, so in terms of the, the spectrum of the scale of stupidity of opinions about this movie, the second the, the second one, and I, I just put this uh, as like a pure stupidity, but there was a review that I, I honestly, you know, I think it was a kid on YouTube who made this review, but it went viral uh, because it was so dumb. <laughs> it was such a hot take. But it was literally like, why is this movie, you know, set in 2002 and not referred to 9-11? You know, like every country would have been referring to 9-11 at this point. And how, the fact that this movie doesn't refer to 9-11 means that it is completely ignorant of the situation and time and context that it was. And it was just like, ah, 
Okay. Uh, not to mention the fact, yeah, not to mention the fact the film was set in Toronto uh, in 2002. But obviously, the specificity of the time and place was the fact that this was a time when, in 2002, where you didn't have iPhones as you were wandering around. You had to actually communicate with people that, uh, you know, that, that you were friends with. And you had to make arrangements ahead of time in order to do so. And I, you know, like, I loved that about it. Like, I, I've made a film um, where I, I also specifically said something in the 90s because I wanted to, like, harken back to the time where where if you wanted to organize things with your friends you would have to call up a phone that didn't belong to them or like go to their house in the hopes that they were there at the time that you were going to be there so there was a lot of like mental coordination you had to do it and i just i love like seeing that on screen particularly for the new technology type of film um but i i i just this dynamic was so wonderful we haven't even got into the hook of the movie yet uh, but just right off the bat, I think we're both loving uh, how specific, how cool, how iconic these kids are, right? Yeah, and not, it's not even just the kids. Like the like every character in this movie. Uh, I mean, there's basically the family as well, the mother, and eventually the father, which was I, I was expecting like a little bit of a turn, which was nice. Yeah, and, and the grandmother the mother, and yeah. all the aunts. Like, yeah, uh, I don't know. It 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 really. It I mean it it's what Pixar does, and Pixar does it well. It they it felt very 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 real in the family dynamic, and again, it is not a family dynamic that I can relate to via uh, from a cultural perspective, like specifics. Do you know what I mean? Or even like a large family perspective. I am an only child, so like, but it's the 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 universalness of what I think one of the central themes of the film is, which is kind of choosing what you want to be like who you are in your life when you are being pulled in multiple directions, be they f- classically from specific elements of your family or your religion or, or in this particular case, uh, immigrant, like, uh, like the, the culture of the country that people have emigrated from, right? Like to then now 2002 <laughs> American air quotes culture, uh, you know, full of, full of uh, boy bandtastic wonderment. So like there's, there's, there's an infinite spectrum for anyone who has grown up uh, to relate emotionally to this. Again, as you said, Shahir, very specific slice of life in a very specific time. I think they rode that line so, so perfectly and were able to take something specific and do what Pixar does and make it. I would honestly, if it wasn't for you know a couple people just seemingly not getting it. Uh, I would say, dare I say, universally accepted or understood based on the skill and craft that was being shown here. Yeah, um, it's it's truly delightful in terms of uh, both that. And then, and then for me, you know, as a, you know, the interesting thing that you said there, the, you said a word there that I was like, huh, and I think about that. And the word was immigrant. And I was like, do we know if they're immigrants? Like, I, is it specified that they're like... She's well, so, clearly so for instance, the culture, it is not. I, I, I'm using that as, I think, of a, as a shorthand a little yeah. bit because the culture, that they, it's Chinese culture that they're, they're right, dealing but, with. But like right? they may be second or third generation. Of, of, of course, yeah, yeah, 100%. But it's, it's and actually it's kind of funny. Like my guess, if, if I had to glean from, I guess, story beats and whatever, the, I, I imagine the grandmother probably moved to Canada, hmm. raised the mother, the mother followed the path of the family, 
even though there was turmoil there, which we'll get into in sort of spoilers. And now we're, it feels like almost like third generation, at least again, from, it's, it's from, the, or it's, maybe not, but like, it's, it's basically, I'm using uh, the immigrating as sort of uh, a shorthand of a classic older culture from a family pushed into now you're choosing what you want to, who you, who you specifically want to I be as the newest member of that generation. I have a son that was born here. And, yeah. and you know, like when I ask him, where are you from? He says New York. And I was like, yeah, you, he, He's he is. not an immigrant. He's he's a <laughs> yeah. kid. You know, he was born here. Yeah. You know, this is his home. And you know, like I, I just I, I just thought about that. Now I'm an immigrant kid. You know, like I've immigrated in my lifetime three times. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I I understand it. But I I also have come across. Here's the interesting thing. I have come across families that have been uh, th- that immigrated so long ago that they have actually been in the countries that they're from usually longer than the people who would call them an immigrant. Right, like, like they 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 have been there longer than than uh, other people who would claim native heritage to somewhere. Um, uh, that you know, like longer than an immigrant would have. You know, so uh, I, I think that's really interesting. Yeah, I, I, again, it's just it's 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 as you grow up, choosing what parts of your family, your their culture, your home life, you want to merge with whoever you're going to be. Right. Um, and that's, I don't, I don't know about you, Shahir, but that's fucking hard for kids. Like, like I, depend, depending, depending on, honestly, the home situation. But, like, but it's not hard for these kids, though, is it? Like, like it, No, no, it's hard for, it's hard for May. Being it's an not immigrant? Hard, she, no, I'm sorry if I misspoke and said yeah. the wrong word there. That's not my point. The point is that you can look at this this film from a couple different angles. One right. of which is May wants to be herself and wants to like kind of wants to you know. Eventually, this is all represented by. Uh, sorry, we have to get into the middle of the, the mechanics of the film. Um, his family uh, is linked with uh, a red panda spirit, mm-hmm. and every one of the uh, women in her in her family, uh, when they come of age, uh, the spirit is released, and they have to do a, a ceremony in order to tame it and put it back into like an icon or, or a necklace or like something else to to basically make sure that they are you know going to behave the way that they're supposed to behave right. uh, in in society. Um, and May at the beginning of this film, oh yeah, she 100% like knows who she is, but then like all of a sudden when this thing happens, she she's kind of torn between two worlds, right? She wants to be the dutiful daughter that makes her mother happy and and is is, you know, doing things at her her temple and making sure that like the family like all of that is still going, but she also wants to be a 13-year-old girl in 2002 and like hang out with her friends and be little weirdos and like go to boy band concerts and like parties and things like that. Um but that it's, a, it's but, funny. We I mentioned Persepolis earlier. I was getting a lot of sort of uh, different, obviously very different situations, but yeah. uh, sort of similar vibes. As sort of like, well, as you're growing up and you're confronted with different cultures from different angles of your life, you have to sort of put them together uh, in in weird mishmashes of ways. And it's that worry of disappointing one group or the other, or not like not making the correct call, mm. um, and uh, I find I found May's sort of struggle here and, and the eventual journey she has sort of like going through like, oh, hiding it and then sort of accepting it and then having to uh, like because there's in this in the in the the rules of the movie, like supposedly if you keep letting the panda out, uh, it gets harder to put back in, which I thought was an interesting <laughs> allegory for like, 
oh well, yeah, if you go further away from the classic thing that your you know family does or that you're you're you've grown up to sort of believe, you know, it it could be harder to go back into those uh uh that lane, those binds, however you want to kind of contextualize it. Well, what did you think the panda was a metaphor for? I mean, honestly, I think it was a metaphor for. I mean, you you could you could link it to a couple different things, and I don't think one thing that I'm going to say is correct because I mm. think that's honestly that's a strength of this film. The panda could be fucking everything. Yeah. Um, what I like to choose for me as a viewer is, um, the messy parts of what make us individuals. Um. And it can be, you know, we are, there's, you know, what is it, nature and nurture kind of, you know, form us as 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 whatever our, the amalgamation of the brain juices in our skulls that gives us a personality. Um, so for me, like, look, I was I, so it's funny. I didn't have any of the sort of um, the cultural pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's weird. I, I've said this before on this podcast. I don't feel like I have a culture outside of American pop culture. That's not true my, at all. My yeah, family man. is. My, we no, my family about is Hampshire on this on the show. Like, like growing up in it, New England. Yeah, and you could sure, great, <laughs> but like that's. Uh, I, I don't. I, I have never felt sort of connected with a group outside of my immediate family and or friends. It's hmm. not like it. I. I uh, my, my point behind this sort of saying is I wasn't raised in a specific, uh, you know, uh, with Polish traditions or Italian traditions or, uh, French tradition. Like I, I, you know, I have that, that lineage, but I don't have it. Uh, and then, uh, at the same time we weren't religious, so I wasn't really like forced down any of those paths, but what I was surprise, surprise was a weird fucking kid. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I remember my mom will hate that I I'm telling this story, but like me and my mom butted heads a lot. Not that I was a bad kid, um, I, but like I I specifically remember I don't even remember what weird shit I was doing. Probably like I don't know if it was like the goth phase or like I don't know what it was, but we got into an argument, and I remember her so frustrated. Not we've we've covered this. We're fine about this now, uh, and she screamed at me. Uh, which she very rarely did. And she screamed, she goes, you were raised normal mm-hmm. and you're going to be normal. Right. And to which my smart ass responded, define normal. And then I got grounded for like <laughs> two weeks because that didn't go anywhere. So so I related personally. It, I, what, I, what I gleaned into this and what I like about this is it's an infinite sort of puzzle piece starter kit where you can put your own – I won't say – well, it could be. You could put your own, um, your own growing up pains or trauma or anything like that and sort of link into what the panda can represent for you, which is, again, why I was shocked – when people were like, oh, it's ve- it's just, it's too specific. And I was like, really? Like, what? Like, because what I'm, what I'm, what I'm latching onto in this film is not necessarily exactly what the filmmaker intended, <laughs> except in the intent of maybe making it as universal as possible while still being in a, you know, specific time and place. Like, like all movies kind of are. So I don't know. I, I, 
I, that, that's my read. Did, did you have it? What was your sort of like, because I imagine it was different. What was your idea personally what the red panda sort of represented? I mean, I agree with you in a sense that the, the red panda is a multitude. And I think even within the, the context of the movie, the metaphor shifts and changes throughout the throughout the course of the movie. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I was uh, pretty, uh, pretty uh, happy with the idea that this was really a, a metaphor for puberty, mm-hmm. uh, a woman's coming of age, um, you know, going having your first period. Um, all of that detail kind of just rang true to me, particularly in just the, the color of the, you know, of the metaphor that was being used here. And just the uh, just, uh, you know, w- the, the confusion that the mother, um, you know, sees about like, you know, like interpreting this as her period or as her first period. And, you know, that entry into womanhood, um, you know, uh, and, and, you know, like it is awakened uh, in this case by her sort of. Um, growing um, uh, sexuality, her her attraction to the opposite sex, you know, sure. like her her daydreaming about uh, Devon, the um, the 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 guy at the at the local bodega or Del- yep. whatever, whatever they call it in, San, in Toronto. Um, it felt to me very uh, on the nose the, by the, the Tim Hortons. Yeah, it was a Tim Hortons. Yeah, no sugar for you. Um, but uh, but then it, you know, like appropriately, what I love here is you know, and Domi she herself has even she's even described the panda as um, magical puberty, mm-hmm. um, which I think is wonderful. You know, like and it, it reminds me also of like you know the, one of the great antecedents to this movie, which is um, uh, Teen Wolf. You know, the the, the sort of engaging of the. Uh, the voracious appetites of what one what happens when one becomes a teenager, um, and and I think that that works really beautifully. But I also think then what's amazing about it is that it does change and mold over time because it becomes about these generation of women who have all dealt with this and suppressed it, and mm-hmm. the trauma that kind of gets passed on between them. I think one of the most striking moments for me that I was sort of um, surprised by was wh- this moment when Melee was kind of like. Uh, upset at herself for having drawn, you know, like the line that you quoted, why did you draw those awful sexy things? And then at one point, I was just like, I was flabbergasted by this moment. She like slaps herself in the mirror as she's talking to herself and saying, you can't let them down. And it is, you know, like uh, as she describes it, in our family, one of the things you have to do is honor your parents, you know, no matter what, because they've just, they've given you everything. So the least you could do is give them everything um, and honor them in every single way. And then what I think happens is that we realize over time that this is a mirrored, a mirrored sense of trauma that her mother has uh, with her grandmother. And, and it, it transforms because then the, the, the suppression of the panda kind of becomes the suppressions of one's own identity and the messy parts of your life. And, mm-hmm. and I think what's beautiful about the end of this movie is this idea that there are these generations of women who have suppressed the things that make them women, you know, that the, the messy parts, the parts that, you know, uh, are not polite. Uh, well, that uh, make know, them human And make in them a way. human, but that is, yeah. that is what they are. And they've all suppressed them. And, and Mele has, uh, or Meme, has kind of made the choice that, you know, my panda, my body, I am, I am, I own this in every way. And, in, and, and what's beautiful about that is this, like this recognition that the, this generation of women that have hidden this, you know, hidden this away, uh, kept, kept the, these parts of their lives entirely private are, are now watching a younger, you know, a person of the younger generation uh, embrace it and be free. And this, 
my friend, is what is what the third part of of people who took offense at this movie had, to, had took offense at, uh, which was this idea that it was that it was a movie glorifying the, um, <laughs> in some words, uh, glorifying the rege- the disobedience of of one's parents. Uh, you know, a couple of reviews here. Not appropriate for kids. It teaches kids that it's okay to disappoint your parents if it is important to the child. Um, Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, definitely not made for kids. It glorifies finding yourself and follow friends at the expense of listening to your parents' guidance. Totally inappropriate for children's. Preteens who are not living in the modern progressive cult of ideas will find the topics awkward and uncomfortable. Maybe Pixar should decide if they want to continue making charming and enduring family favorites or edgy progressive adult films and I stop mean, sitting feel, other friends. I feel like I, I can't do anything but quote pitch meeting in that particular case and just go, wow. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. Wow, 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 wow. Um, <laughs> wow, completely misunderstanding the point of a film is tight. Tight, tight, um, tight. <laughs> Like, that's it. If, okay, okay. You're a parent. Yeah. I'm not. <laughs> but maybe you'll agree with me. No, not at all. <laughs> if you're putting the onus of a child respecting you on a film they watch. You might be doing it wrong. You're 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 probably parenting incorrectly, right? Like so. Oh man, that's some hard swivel mirror time. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I I I think that's interesting because I think then the movie obviously touches on this topic that is not talked about, which is the you know like women's sexuality or women's you know like uh, periods and puberty and all the messy shit that goes along with being a woman, which obviously. I can't speak to in specific detail. No, neither of How, us can. However, I can certainly empathize and see that there is a narrative there that is compelling and even relates to me in some way. And you I, know, yeah, I I was so again. I guess this is all like about me growing up at this point, but yeah. I guess that's what this movie sort of does. Growing up, uh, especially around this age, around thirteen ish, I had way more female friends than I had male friends. Right, and uh, I. Will not say I was like full inner circle on that, but like this all felt correct for the small bits I gleaned. Like this, this I I was very close with people when we were all that age with with uh with girls. So like this, and you don't see it. Like you don't see it in movies, and it's dumb that we don't like that. That it's it's again. It's sort of why uh the the one article that I had come across was talking about like oh the characters are so unbelievable because they're like so like loud and cringy it's like yeah that's what being a kid is and that's sp- mm-hmm. like it's a, uh, i feel like everyone's kind of cringy and and loud and weird when they're 13 like the fact that people aren't kind of getting that or or maybe that it's shocking that we're seeing that we're seeing girls be that way <laughs> did uh, i did i make you watch a movie called zits or spy game many uh, like a few years ago yeah on YouTube, and it was a movie about a group of teenagers who um, uh, end up selling uh, secrets. Uh, like they they make up secrets and they sell them to the Russians. Yes, I did that? watch that. And did and do you remember? Like, so I watched that movie when I was eight or nine years old. And the thing about that movie is that it opens with these four teenage or like maybe five teenagers openly talking about masturbation and periods and it like it's a long extended like discussion that they have about this and i remember like i saw that and i was like a little kid and i like the first thing i did was ask my ask my mom I was like what's masturbation and which you know obviously my mom suddenly turned like what the fuck are you watching uh but but at the same time she was like oh okay well at least you know like you know let's have a conversation about it kind of thing um 
I love that that is a film. You know, like, I think there's this conversation um, that will be had by parents about what is appropriate for their children and what is inappropriate for their children. Again, coming back to that sort of legal phrase, what is injurious to the public good? And there is certainly, in my experience, certain things that you do want to keep from your children. In my case, the things that I do want to keep from my children is excessive violence at this age because they don't have the contextual knowledge to understand make-believe and, you know, uh, violence. And what I'm really appreciative of and I, 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 like my son is kind of, he's weird when it comes to violence, which is that like, he'll see some, he'll see, he'll see the Hulk smash something and then run around trying to smash things for the next sure. day. But then at the same time, like we'll talk about violence and like, like I was watching something on my, on my computer and there was a gun in it. And he was like, that's not a real gun, is it? And I said, no, it's a, it's a, it's a movie gun. And he said, and, I, and then we got a, con- we had a, we started having a conversation about like, what is make believe versus what is real. Mm-hmm. And then he, and you know, he was like, yeah, but guns hurt people, don't they? And I was like, yeah, they really do. And you know, we should think about that. And, and so we got into a conversation about it. So I think he's starting to like come to terms with it in a way that I think we can like start watching things that, you know, he's not used to or perhaps uncomfortable with, but we can have a conversation around it. Yeah. Because and, you're being a good parent. I I wouldn't go that far, but I would. What you've <laughs> but, just described is good parenting. But like that's yeah, I don't know. That's but, good, but my point that's there is is that is that what I love is that this film is gonna speak like while I love it and I think it speaks to me specifically in my weird. I love that there is gonna be a thirteen year old girl who watches this movie and quotes it all day and thinks about it and talks about it with her friends and you know like has this moment with it. Um, which I will never have, but it will be so specific to them and to their experience that it will be the everything for them. And yeah. I, I love that, that that this movie will do that. And uh, and then I I do think the metaphor, like the first time I watched it, I, I was like, whoa, it is really shifting and changing what I think it is. And, then, and in the second part of the movie, there's a kind of... Um, at first I was like, I thought it was jarring, but I watched the movie twice and the second time it didn't bother me at all, mm. uh, which was that there was a, there's a sort of like really fun kid logic at play when it comes to how to negotiate the panda like there's a real fun kid logic about it which is that like she gets the panda she gets in control of it but then she uses it to like make money at school by like selling merch and like you know like going to the bathroom and like making cuddly toys for it and stuff and it's like there's this sort of like kid logic to it where you're like well i don't think this really makes any sense in terms of like the the world of of what's real and what's not real but it's also kind of like it's within the world of how these kids view the world. And yeah, which, which, yeah, which yeah. is why I sort of just got on board with it. I mean, yeah. again, like, I, look, people are turning into giant red pandas. Yeah, and yeah. So, like, are, but, you know, like, I think there's a lot of movies where, the, like, like Teen Wolf, for example, where, although Teen Wolf, he does, like, I'm pretty sure Michael J. Fox's Teen Wolf becomes a member of the basketball team. Um, mm-hmm. But, but the, you know, the idea so, is that you have, you have to keep it hidden. And it's, you know, like, uh, it's a secret. Until you're making sick dunks. Yeah, until you're making sick dunks. But in this case, it was like, no, we're going to tell the other kids about it because they think it's adorable and we can make money. And we, again, in terms of that specificity question, I love the, the 2002 thing was so specific. Uh, I love I, There's a quote from The Simpsons which talks about the 2000s, where it's like, in the 2000s when boy brands roamed free. And I just yeah. love like this idea of what do they call the four, four town? Four town. <laughs> yeah. Why is they, why are they called four town when there's clearly five of them? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, like, this the specificity of like, and I'm sure this exists now with like, you know, uh, K-pop and 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 still boy bands today. But like the specificity of like how big boy bands were in the early 2000s, and like how much they ruled popular culture in every way, shape, or form. Yeah, um, you know what? 
You know what I really liked about sort of, and it, I guess it sort of ties into your kid logic thing, but I think it's a bigger point the movie's trying to make. Mm. Beyond the initial shock of seeing May turn into the panda, no one questions the panda. Hmm. Yeah, like, she's a giant panda as well. <laughs> yeah, it's a giant, like, and no one questions that May can just like turn into it or not turn into it. Like, no one's freaked out by it. Yeah. <laughs> like, beyond the, whoa, what the, whoa! <laughs> yeah. Like, and I think that is definitely on purpose, and I think it gives a really great sort of subliminal message about, like, and granted, they make the panda cute, and it can be also scary and, you know, yeah. like, sort of thing. Again, which is very ap- apropos to the weird side of a human being. Yeah. Uh, it can be great. It can be damaging. It can be exciting. It can be scary. And I love that we never get... um specifically outside of the 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 family and the mother or the or the grandmother and the aunts being like no this is dangerous yeah it's never like everyone embraces it everyone just it's like oh this happens yeah. okay and i think that normalizes that side of the of the conflict yeah it makes it weirdly as normal as traditional whatever family you're in sort of values or, 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 or uh, traditions, uh, it, it, it puts each side on an even playing field. And that's something you could very easily in less skilled hands uh, ruin and let sort of spin out depending on like if you lose the track of the story you're trying to tell. And they absolutely did not lose the track. Like they, they were on point. Well, because it's, um, it, you know, like I thought about it a couple of films, uh, obviously everything everywhere all at once having yeah. a similar sort of kid logic, which is that, it, but but like kid logic in the best possible way, which is that it is a delightful exploration of the way um, naivete depicts itself on screen or the way the way we can be like delightfully naive. It doesn't mean that the, the material itself is naive. It's just that naivete is kind of fun to watch, you know, like uh, uh, sausage, <laughs> sausage hands. Um, but I also thought about uh, Mitchell's versus the machines. <laughs> yeah. Um, in terms of the way, like, you know, there's a giant attack of, you know, a giant attack, um, swarm of robots attacking, and now this family has to negotiate it. And essentially, the, the, the thing that's important there is not the, the, the swarm of robots. What's important there is the way that it brings this family together to have to deal with this crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, what's important in Everything Everywhere All at Once is the way in which a mother and daughter have to renegotiate their relationship in order to navigate what, you know, the daughter is becoming. It's in, in, in many ways not dissimilar to what's happening in Turning Red. Mm-hmm. Um we, you know, like in a movie like we, the the phrase "kid logic" actually came up on this podcast from Patrick Hosmer on when he when we discussed uh, Hudson Hawk, and, oh, and yeah, yeah, that was a movie that had real kid logic to it. But kid logic in the sort of like uh, Looney Tunes, Bugs Bunny kind of view of the world, and this is uh, sort of something different to that, which is that, like you say, there is a delightfulness with which people accept Meme's change and normalizes it into something beautiful. Um, and, you know, like, and angry and messy. I think the stakes of it, like, somewhat get confusing. Like, uh, you know, the, the, the grandmother arrives and says, you cannot stay, you know, you cannot become the Red Panda for more than once because it will take over. And I was like, okay, does, what, what, how does that work? And, like, you know, because she gets angry at one of the other little kids for a little bit. But then she can kind of change back and forth. And, and it's always like, the logic doesn't work yet, but I kind of, like... You know what? I took it as the logic did work. And here's why. Okay. 
and again, I, I hearken back again to my own experiences with with sort of with sort of growing up and and sort of deciding who you're going to be. I think part of the fear from a I'll say more traditional side of that argument, uh, be it family or or your uh, specific uh, peer group or however however you want to d- define it, um, that's a tact that is often used in those. If if you're having a discussion or a debate about like, ooh, should I do this? Should I not do this? Should I act this way? Should I not act this way? Many times, people on one side will be like, well, you can't act that way because if you do. It's just going to, you're going to, it's going to spiral. It's a gateway. You're going to keep doing it. It's going to go more and more. It's going to get dangerous. Hmm. And, and I, I took that. And, and again, I'm not even saying that they're, I, I won't even posit that a character like that or a person like that is, is, is doing it to harm you in a way they're doing it because they believe it will keep you safe. Right. Um, and so that's how I took that. I didn't take it as a break in logic. I took it as, oh, this is a very classic uh, you know, weapon in the arsenal of one side of this uh, right. This it's, conflict. A, it's a it's a de- deceptive ploy by the parent in order to prevent the child from doing the thing that they and the parent might not even know how deceptive it is. Right. Like th- that's that's the I don't know. I, I well, really because, like because that all moment. the women have internalized this like yeah. idea that they have to hide this thing until they realize mm-hmm. that they don't have to. Yeah, right? and and mm. it, it's interesting. Yeah, like and it doesn't. It also doesn't demonize really either side often, which I liked. Um, the grandmother in that particular case weirdly has a has a pretty real reason to feel that way, right? Based on what happened with the mom, and now we're obviously into deep spoiler territory. But she has a a, a scar across her eye because in her in at when the mother was being defiant back in the day, uh, her her in her panda form hurt her mother, and. That is sort of like, you know, you could you can sort of deep dive into sort of what that means and what that would do to someone's psyche in that particular point. And um, it, I think um, Sandra Oh, as the mom, as Ming, does a really excellent job at riding, again, that line of like overprotective, but like you understand exactly where she's coming from. And as the film keeps going, you realize why there are the why the character's doing the things that they're doing, why Sandra is making the choices that she's making and portraying this character. Like, it's all... Again, I would expect nothing less from Pixar. Um, the, the the meaning runs deep in even the smallest details. And, uh, yeah, this, this I, movie's I there's, fucking there's another great. another interesting thing there, which is that the... Um, uh, I, I got this from the Review podcast, uh, which was the post-villain era of Disney, yeah. where where there isn't a concrete... Uh, malevolent force again, acting in opposition to the protagonist anymore. Uh, if you look at a film like Encanto, uh, for example, the it, it is a, it is the the internal. Uh, communication skills of the family itself that is actually the antagonist. So it's not one person trying to harm the family. It's the way in this, which this family has manifested itself over time. It's not, um, it's not uh, um, you know, the Wicked Witch, Witch of the West uh, or anything like that. It is like this individual, it is this sort of internal uh, antagonist within the characters, which makes it all the more humanistic. Because I think the beautiful thing in this film is when uh, Mei Mei uh, crosses over into you know, the realm where the, you know, I I think it's the realm where the pandas roam free or where their spirits come from. And we see her mother as a child and her mother as a child feeling the disappointment of having let her own mother down. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she is now a teenager. And then as we walk through trees, we see how that trauma that she carried of like having felt like she betrayed her mother's trust and, and, you know, betrayed 
uh, her mother's love has has kind of ca- she's carried it with on her, on her shoulders her entire life, and you know that's the antagonist. It's not, and she her, the the mother is also probably carrying that from her mother, and it's this entire thing that has been passed down. And what's so cool about that is that Mei Mei is the one who's just like, she is that girl at the very beginning of the movie who is like, I know who I am. I know what I want. I know what I like. And that's that. You know, like she is just like completely free from, well, not not completely free because she obviously has to na- navigate um, th- this dichotomy. But she she is the one who walks away at the end of this film, like with her panda intact and like em- fully embracing it and like goes to um, uh, parties with her friends with a, with her tail and ears and human form. You know, she is a hybrid now. Um, and I think that's th- there's this sort of interesting idea that we are leaning into this idea of the villain, like the lack of villains or the internalized villain, um, which I, you know, again, I just think it's, there's just a part of me that's super excited that, um, you know, uh, a lot of my son's uh, younger friends who are, are little girls will grow up and, and maybe they won't care by the time they're 13 and this movie is like, thir- you know, 14 years old. A hundred years old in their eyes, yeah. Actually, this movie will be 17 years old. No, this movie... You'll be close to 19 years old by the time that they are, uh, you know, at the age that that Mei Mei was in this film, because um, they're six wait. now. What? Oh no, sorry, She's sorry, 13. my math is wrong. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. no, 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 wait, wait, wait. no, no, no. <laughs> I, I did the math wrong there. Six <laughs> years from now, which means the movie will be seven years old. When anyway. will then be now? Yeah, when will then be now? Fuck, how do Soon. I do that? And anyway. Whether they will care about a movie that's seven years old at that point, but if they do, I think, and or maybe if this sort of sits a trend of, of these kinds of conversations in movies, I think I'm just excited at the moment they get to watch that and like, you know, like have a, you know, unlike the person at the beginning of this movie who said this movie was not, you know, for me, have a movie that's specifically for them. You know, like that's just such a cool idea that they will have a movie that is specifically for their experience. Um, and, and I'm just super excited about that. And I, 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 you know, I think the movie is just so effortlessly charming. Um, you know, Domi, she, she directed a film, uh, called Bao, which is on Disney plus. You can watch it. It won, it won, it won uh, an Oscar. Right? Yeah. It won the Oscar for best short film. And it is like a, it's a, <laughs> it's a movie where the metaphor gets oddly terrifying. <laughs> like you're sort of like the, the metaphor is about, a. have you, have you watched Bao? No, I haven't. It's about a, a a mother who is experiencing empty nest syndrome, and uh, you know his son has left the house, and so she anthropomorphizes this uh, bow bun to, and it, it sort of takes on human characteristics, and it sort of starts as a baby, and then becomes a, a, a kid, and she gets, and she basically has the whole movie is her having adventures with this bow bun, and then at the end of the movie she eats the bow bun, <laughs> and I was like, there's this moment where you're like, what the fuck. Um, and I think like, again, with, you know, like if you listen to Domi Shi in that, in that, um, turning red documentary, uh, or embrace the panda, I think it was called where she says, you know, the reason she, the reason she, she started this thing was that she drew a panda and she just thought pandas were cute. And she liked the idea of like a little girl turning into a panda. And then eventually it metamorphosized into something else. And the metaphor again is messy. And it's, you know, like, I think the movie is actively working through the metaphor as it's being played out, which is just fun to watch because again, like at times I was like, I'm not quite tracking this anymore. But at the same time, I was like with the kid logic of the whole movie and the sort of delightful charm of it all and the kind of the spunk of the whole thing. I was like just on board for wherever the movie was going to take me and and just enjoyed it on on just the pure like, man, this is a fun two hours. Like, what is this? Like an hour and a half or something like yeah, this? Yeah, it's like, pretty light. It's pretty light. You know, it's just like just 40. a fun, easy watch that's just like 
got a lot to say, has a lot of heart, is really fun to watch. You know? Uh, another, another, I think, excellent uh, uh, feather or, or tuft of fur into Pixar's cap. Uh, yeah, no, I, th- I agree with all that stuff. I think this movie's awesome. If you haven't seen it or you slept on it and you're like, oh, why are people upset with this? Maybe I won't like it. <laughs> don't, 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 don't. This is this. You should watch this. Um, and 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 I think I don't know. It's again not a parent, but I think I would want my if I ever have a thirteen year old, I would want them to watch something like this. Yeah. I think that's and then talk about it. Like what what an amazing primer for a film to do some heavy lifting for you that then you can actually like discuss without having like like. It's the perfect gateway drug into some difficult conversations. Like, but it's also fun to watch. You know, it's like, also fun like, to watch. Well, that's why. It's, I'm, listen, yeah. it's it's got so much sugar. You're not going to notice the medicine unless you really want to. So that's good. I mean, I'm just thinking about when we were growing up, The Goonies. You know, like being kind of this fun adventure movie that we all watch. But it was, you know, there's a fair amount of conversation in that movie about sex and sexuality and about growing up and about choosing and being responsible and all that sort of stuff. And it's like. Yeah, it just it's cool that you know, like a kids movie doesn't have to be uh absolutely absent of metaphor, of meaning, of relatability, of painful, difficult, uh, complicated and, questions. And the ones that stand the test of time are the ones that do. Yeah, they 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 have all those things. They mm. they 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 last because they're meaningful. Yeah. Anyway, this has been the only podcast about the film Turning Red. Shahir, when you are not turning into, let's see, what would your animal be? What would be, be my animal? I, mean, I think c- your animal would be a, ooh, the noble armadillo. Ooh, the noble armadillo. Where can folks find you? You can find me slowly cross- crossing the road at my website, www.shahirdaud.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D. Matt, you are, of course, the honey badger. Where can people find you? You can find me not giving a shit at my website, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com. My life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram or PSN or Emperor Emerus K on Twitter. Also, I don't give a fuck. I think that was actually the quote. I, honey badger don't give a fuck. Yeah. Um, also, please check out the good works we're doing over at Extra Credits. By the time this airs, we will have done our Macbeth episode of So uh. You Haven't Read, which is very, very fun. We're also doing something on The Great Disappointment, which was supposed to be about the second coming of Jesus based on math um and uh spoiler Wait, alert was is that, in the title was that the 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 year that uh the the, the rapture was supposed to happen is that what that's well, no not well yeah yes but not the one you're thinking of this was much earlier than the one in our lifetime the one in our lifetime was amazing because i i just moved to new york city i think and i remember reading that there was going to be the rapture and so people were kind of gearing up for it and then we were taking a trip out to um, Staten Island with my family. And on the boat, on the ferry boat, was the guy. The guy who had, like, made all the predictions. <laughs> he was on the boat heading Weird. to Times Square to – and this was the day of the rapture. And he was heading to Times Square to be one with the rapture. And then he just got there and, like, you know, some people interviewed him and he went home back on the Staten Island ferry. Man, <laughs> could you imagine believing you're going to go meet God? Like, truly believing it. And being like, you know where I want God to pick me up? Times Square. Times right? Square. <laughs> That's where he was hitting. Because I remember that the trip. We we went to uh, the Statue of Liberty. We came back, and he was on the ferry, and he was heading to Times Square. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> to tell you what, uh, that is the definition of the great disappointment, let me tell yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. There we go. So we've got a little primer there. Um, Lots of great week. movies coming up. we got The Northman. we got um, Petite Maman. Can I tell you something? 
What's that? What's that? I, I and this like doesn't say we shouldn't up. do it. I feel like a uh, secret coming I do not give a shit about the Northmen. What? On what basis does the, your the trailer lack of shits come does from? not interest me in the least. The trailer doesn't interest you in the least. The about, trailer, the I mean, the reviews are very good, right? What about the director? I don't even know who's directing it. It's Robert Eggers, the director of The Witch and The Lighthouse. That that's cool. I, I those 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 trailers and the stories behind them and whatever. Like actually, like you know what it is. And, and again, this is not a. I, I would like to say this is not a detriment to the actual film. No. Uh, I think because uh, I haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, <laughs> Vikings or that or or that sort of Norse uh, uh, era has never captured my. Uh, imagination as it were um and i just have i I don't know i feel like i'm gonna write a review and be like look this is not specific to my experience and therefore i don't think this movie is gonna work for me at all i think that's very very smart no what i'm saying basically is uh i I, I'm, i'm very happy to be proven wrong i'm just saying like the or actually it's not even being proven wrong i'm saying you're not excited about the movie yeah, I, I'm sure it's based on its pedigree. It's going to be phenomenal. Right. But like, it was weird. I was like, "Ooh, yeah, Northman." I was like, "Why am I not excited about the Northman?" See, I haven't watched uh, the trailer, but all I know is Robert Eggers, and I'm like, "Cool, I'm there." I will say uh, the same dude who plays Eric Northman, uh, one of the Scars guards uh, over on True Blood, uh, huh. is playing the Northman. So that that checks a box for me. Sure. Is he? He's not done. A, his dad has been in a bunch of Marvel movies. He was in Succession. I he was he in was Succession? In, yeah, he was in Succession. He was in No. The, did you watch season two of Succession? I didn't watch season one of Succession. Okay, well, then that would probably... Huh. Yeah, but he's in, he's in Succession. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's a great article right now about his traps. Um, uh, I was just going to say... <laughs> there's like, a great article about his traps. <laughs> on GQ, I think. But also, like, all, my dad group, uh, we're like, yeah, the Northman. If we're going to go see a movie together, it's going to be the Northman, isn't it? And I was like, yeah, this is the dad movie. Also, <laughs> side note... <laughs> Alexander Skarsgård, that is the Skarsgård we are talking about, has the absolute best fucking IMDb cover picture I have ever seen in my entire life. Okay, I gotta gotta check this out. Go look at it right now. It's... I'm not, we shouldn't even tell the audience. Go look up Alexander Skarsgård on IMDb. Oh, I see it. I see it's it. It's fucking awesome. Yeah, that is. Anyway, the, yeah. next week, maybe we'll talk about that movie. Maybe we'll talk about something else. Maybe we'll just check in and see how your day is going. Um, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Email us in onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Please wish me safety at PAX. Or, uh, and if you somehow have heard this episode before it's actually come out, uh, go up to Matt and say, "Have you heard the story of the scorpion and the frog?" And and then I will. All I will do is stare at you, and while I play some fucking kick-ass electro music, and I will move toward you in the slowest pace possible to try to mimic the camera movements that bore me to tears. Oh, yeah. In drive. Oh boy. Anyway, anyway. enjoy packs. Bye. Bye. Bye.